Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Wyatt, thanks for joining me this morning. Yeah, thank you for having me. So take me through it. I mean, this is, to me, I, I, you, when you just, you know, talk about this issue, it makes me so sad, you know, and I think for students, there are a lot of people that, that argue over this and are split over, over the entire issue, but it does still cast a cloud over Penn State, Penn State University. There were rules that were imposed for leadership, and obviously the former president even was, was, ultimately held accountable, whether you believe he should have been or whether he was thrown under the bus. Take me through your investigation and what you found. Yeah, over the past year, I've been working with uh, Josh Moyer from the Center Daily Times, the the local newspaper here. Um, And we've been looking at the series of reforms that the university made kind of in the wake of the Sandusky scandal. So in the past 10 years, the university has created a number of compliance offices, um, changed some of its policies around retaliation and different things. So we are very much looking at how effective those things have been. Um, and like, uh, the, the level of transparency that the university has, cause that was an issue even 10 years ago. So we found uh, a number of things. I mean, some federal and state investigations have found failures in the university system. Um, things have come up such as not doing background checks, um, for people involved with youth camps. Uh, but a main focus of our investigation was the Office of Ethics and Compliance. So this was an office that was created in 2013. It was kind of the centerpiece of these reforms. Essentially, it would help handle investigations across the university system. Um, it would do ethics trainings and different things like that. And what we found is that for about a two-year period, um, the that office and that unit struggled to prevent the very type of behavior it was designed to stop at the university. Uh, That's being alleged harassment, alleged misconduct, retaliation, um, because the university's kind of systems weren't set up to uh, handle these complaints when they're coming against the chief ethics officer for the entire university. And so 
what does that mean for, so we're talking about things other than the, the situation, uh, you know, obviously with Sandusky is that he was somebody who on his own on the side, although he was a huge name and respected coach, football program, iconic under, under you know, uh, Joe Paterno, mm-hmm. the late great Joe Paterno. So that situation was somebody who had a big name with Penn State was ultimately convicted of doing sick things to boys and taking advantage of a lot of kids who were underprivileged. It, in my view, it led as a longtime news reporter covering some of this stuff and also involved in you know community action type type centers. It really shed a light uh, for the public. A lot of people didn't understand what happens with regard to mm-hmm. abuse, and I think. I can't, first of all, I can't believe this happened 10 years ago, but secondly, I think it was, it was a moment, uh, for everyone to learn about this, that it's real. It does happen. I know that Josh Shapiro, for example, when he was attorney general and investigating even the Catholic Church and these types of abuses, for a lot of people, they said, Oh, you're against the church. He, he actually investigated, for example, um, uh, very, uh, very conservative. Some of the the very conservative uh, Jewish organizations, even synagogues, that had the kind of a similar thing with the church. So that was a, I think, an opening for people to have their eyes open and to say this happens. And it was a situation where people were learning of this. So we've been on a learning curve. But now what you're talking about, and I'm sorry, to, I, I wanted to just give a little background of this mm-hmm. so that maybe there are those who are joining us who, who aren't privy, privy to what's been going on. But now it goes beyond that. So I, I'm inferring that some of what you're talking about is office conducts, sexual harassment, not just because that was more on child abuse, right? So this is going in, in, in a wider umbrella of educating employers and employees of what's acceptable. Yeah, our, our investigation really focused on the offices and the policies and the different changes that were made kind of after, let's say, 2012 in the wake of the Sandusky scandal. So there's a lot of focus on the university um, and its policies and its lack of action around these that misconduct. So the university made a bunch of changes. It created things like the Office of Ethics and Compliance. Um, and now 10 years on, we're sort of trying to better understand how effective were those reforms. Um, and, a, and a big thing that comes up is the, the lack of transparency from the university system. Um, we don't really know how effective the ethics office is because any data about um, misconduct reports and reporting outcomes and different things are provided to the board of trustees behind closed doors. The university has basically an exemption from the state open records law um, because it's one of four state related universities. So our, our investigation was really looking at in, in the years after all of those reforms, how effective had these things been and how are they working for students, for employees in the campus community? And so take me through a little bit, give us a, a, a feel for what you're finding and where they've got it right and where you, you are shining a light on an area that is cause for concern, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the university did a series of surveys of students and employees, um, one in 2013, one in 2017, 
Um, and then they did one last fall, and these are measuring perceptions of, you know, how, how do students and staff feel about the, the systems for reporting misconduct? Do they feel safe? Do they feel that they're going to be retaliated against if they speak up because their boss is being abusive? Um, so doing those surveys is like the one way you find out, like, are your systems working? But I mean, one thing that did stand out is that the university paid for these surveys and the one in 2017 the group that did the survey had a very specific recommendation that the university make public, you know, summary reports of the disciplinary actions that are taken. Obviously, you have to be careful um, about confidentiality and not putting people's personal information out there. But you can say, like, this is the number of reports of misconduct we received. This is the number we substantiated. These are the actions that were taken. This is how we are ensuring there wasn't retaliation. Um, the group that did the survey also recommended that the school or that the university make a system to track the people who report misconduct. So if you, for example, report a misconduct about your boss, the university should follow up with you, I don't know, for example, six months, a year, two years down the line to make sure there wasn't retaliation um, against you for speaking up about misconduct. Um, those recommendations were delivered to the university in 2018. No such system exists as of today. Um, the university doesn't have a system for the entire university. Think about the number of campuses mm -hmm. um, and different offices. It doesn't have a central way to track reports of misconduct. Um, so your, your report of misconduct could go to one office. Um, and if it gets shuffled to a different office, say, for example, you filed a misconduct report with Title IX, but it's actually supposed to go to another unit, that report might get lost in the shuffle. That was one example we found with a professor who had a pretty small complaint but it took him a year and a half to get any sort of response from the university to even say, no, nah, we don't we don't think this is like rises to the level of needing a full investigation. But he was he was asking questions. He was following up, sending emails saying what happened to my report. And at first, the response was, I think there was a communication gap is what a vice president told him. Um, so not having a university wide tracking system allows those kind of reports of misconduct to fall down between the cracks. And so this is concerning because essentially, you know, what you're reporting, and, and this is a long-term investigation that Spotlight PA and you personally have been looking into this, it, from, from reading your report, it, it would appear, I mean, you're just out and out saying you found flaws in the system. And my question is then, are you, do you feel that based on your investigation, that the Sandusky, you know, that horrifying situation that they haven't done enough to even prevent something like that from happening again. I think it'd be very difficult to make a definitive claim mm -hmm. about that. I mean, I think we can say based on this reporting that there are holes in the system. The university has been advised on different things it could do to shore up some of those areas that are lacking. Um, and the university hasn't done that. They've known about some of these problems for years. Um, and I, I think that's kind of the best thing we can say. The, the Sandusky scandal was one of the worst things in higher education ever. I mean, the, the idea that that could happen again is difficult to think about. Yeah. Um, but it, it's very hard to say that, like, the, the current climate would allow for that to happen again. I think this reporting um, kind of narrowly focuses on the – the promises the university made a decade ago and whether it's living up to those promises and whether the public can know if the university is living up to those promises.
And I guess where this leads me is we talked to Wyatt Massey of Spotlight PA, talking about State College, talking about the PSU system. Ultimately, it's a huge employer, right? And Mm -hmm. so on one hand, we have employees and bosses and, and that system, which all of us deal no matter where you work. And that that's one issue to me personally, when I think about the Sandusky issue, I and I tell I just tell people flat out, um, if you witness something or you think you witness something, I always say to people, call 911. Mm. I wish in that case, don't go to your boss. If you witness a crime in your workplace, that's a crime. So to me, in my mind and in my news, you know, reporter background mind, I just think if this, if this case, like how I would train an employee, if this case is that you witnessed a, an individual, an adult, it doesn't matter to me in essence that it was a highly respected coach. You're witnessing an adult raping a child. That's what was the allegation that started this whole thing. Call 911 right then and call Get it through to special victims and let the police handle it. And so my question to you is, within their reforms, do they have that? Because that's how you solve that. Boom. You're done. It never happens again. You train your employees everywhere, no matter in the state college system, in the educational system, in the private sector. If you witness a crime, including a rape or a violent assault, you call 911. Don't go to management. Don't go to HR. Don't go to somebody that you love and adore. Call 911. That, to me, would reform that. Boom. What you're dealing with, to me, Wyatt, is not dealing with preventing that. And I'm relieved that you said, you know, it's such a horrible thing. We can't think of it again. But this is really dealing with the fact that they don't seem to have a central HR department like most corporations do. Well, they do, uh, and they have a number of offices that are supposed to oversee these, but it, it appears that there is not a, a good system of communication between those offices when um, a report of misconduct goes to one when it really should go to another. Um, and, and so many of these cases are things that don't rise to the level of immediate criminality. Um, if you think about um, you speaking up about uh, an abusive boss, Mm-hmm. Um, maybe maybe it's, it's not a crime in the sense that you can call the police and have the police intervene, um, but it's something that you would want to raise to the administration of the university, for example. And if, if you make a report and then it gets out that you made a report against your boss and suddenly you're not getting a promotion, suddenly your job duties change and maybe you lose your job. Those are the types of things that can happen within the university system um, that I think this report is like, pretty uh, focused on because it's, it's not rising to the level of I need to call the state college police, but it's it's something that's creating bad work environments. It's making people uncomfortable. It can, it can be sexual misconduct, um, things like that. Right. And with this, you know, you're saying uh, you found communication gaps and questionable practices is mm-hmm. is part of I guess my question is there are and, and it gets tricky within such a huge, this is a huge system of employment. And so part of this is that they have to protect, if somebody does complain, it's not like they can put that into a report where you could then see, oh, well, Trish Smallwood 
was, uh, you know, her coworker, Joe Hacker, grabbed her in the rear end. Like, they don't want you or any of us to see that personnel situation between two people, right? And so is that part of what they're saying? Is that part of the transparency issue? Or what are they citing as saying that they, they're not giving out more of this information? Yeah, a number of university systems um, do publish kind of uh, high-level data on their misconduct reporting outcomes. Um, Like the Virginia Commonwealth University does this, where they'll report, say, you know, in in this academic year, we received 100 reports of misconduct. 33 of them were an abusive boss. You know, 20 of them were sexual misconduct, what have you. And then they'll say... You know, 80% of those we investigated within 10 days and we found, I don't know, 50% of those reports to be credible. And this is the action that we've taken. So you're not even putting people's names in, um, not having identifying information, but it's a way to signal to employees, to the community that you take these issues very seriously. And say, if you're someone who's working and experiencing a very similar situation, that's one way to build trust in the system to know that look, when I make a report, someone's going to follow up with me promptly. Here's the clear way they're going to engage with my report. And this is typically what happens um, in terms of an outcome. Yeah, one of the disturbing pieces of this, and this is such a, you know, congratulations on such a thorough investigation with your, you know, colleague Josh Moyer. But one of the issues that you looked at was uh, the youth camps that are run and the background checks. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, that was part of the Auditor General's uh, report. So the the Auditor General from Pennsylvania had done uh, an investigation of of the university in the wake of the Sandusky scandal, and then another follow-up report about five years later, is in 2017. Um, and, and one of the findings was that the from that 2017 report, one of the findings was that the university was not properly vetting all the individuals who had contact with children. Um, Basically that some individuals had not passed all the background checks or the university couldn't say for certain that everyone had passed background checks. Um, And so they took a sample from that. Um, Say, for example, there was 800 of those and they sampled 100. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you can kind of make an estimation of the number. Um, So they estimated that potentially dozens of youth camps were operating with at least one individual lacking all the proper clearances to engage with youth. And that one, that's amazing to me because it's not that difficult, truthfully. Because I have a a son who's a teenager and, you know, you can lifeguard, I think, at 15 and you you get your state background check. I'm a longtime volunteer with different organizations. I have all my background checks. It's not that difficult. You just get the paperwork and you have the state check and then you actually have to be fingerprinted and have the federal check. It's, it's actually not that difficult. I, what mm-hmm. excuse or what did they say t- to, you know, all of this? And I know that you presented, uh, the, you and your newsroom presented the findings to Penn State's Board of Trustees. What's the answer? Well, so the, the university um, at that time said the claim by the Auditor General was assumed extrapolation okay. and not based in fact. Um, although they did follow up and say that they had made changes to their policies. So you can take that for how you want to interpret it. (laughs) 
Well, if they're not providing you with the evidence, though, how do you, how do you, or how does anybody know? I guess that's my question. I mean, this, some of this stuff is so simple. I don't even understand how they couldn't do it. And because I have had gone through the background check, like you, as a parent, you can't go as a volunteer in your child's school, in most schools, without having a background check. That's, that's pretty standard. And I mean, my kids' schools, so it's not that difficult, and then you either have mm-hmm. the paperwork or you don't. So I, to me, it's pretty black and white on that one. I don't even I don't even understand that. And and by the way, if you're a parent and your kid is in one of their youth camps, even if it's one percent, that's not acceptable. If you say, well, only one percent of the people didn't go through the background check, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, it only takes one right to slip mm-hmm. through. Oh my goodness. Um, so did you talk to people who have said as far as the so-called toxic workplace or hostile work environment, we hear those, those word days. I mean, did you talk to people who are, you know, alleging that or concerned about that? Yeah. Part of a main part of our investigation focused, like I said, on the office of ethics and compliance and the chief ethics officer um, over about a two year period from 20 late 2018 to early 2020. Um, and this, like I mentioned before, the Office of Ethics and Compliance was kind of a centerpiece of the university's reforms. It was kind of the central hub uh, for handling reports of misconduct and overseeing compliance across the university. Um, it was designed to be somewhat separate from the administration because it was an investigative body and it could answer to the Board of Trustees rather than having to go you know, through someone else and then the president and the Board of Trustees. Um, so in, in looking at the ethics office during that time, uh, we found that the, the chief ethics officer was repeatedly accused of uh, misconduct, retaliation, um, mocking people's physical appearances, um, changing some policies with what the ethics office was doing. Um, and, and people were notifying the university that these things were happening. Um, we know of at least three official complaints that came in through the university system. Um, so this is a, like kind of a hotline that the university had created. The problem was those, those hotline reports go to the Office of Ethics and Compliance. Um, so it kind of created a problem where the reports of misconduct were going to the office that the, the report was about. Um, so the university brought in external lawyers. Um, there was a human resources investigation um, at the same time, people were reaching out to the then president, Eric Barron. Um, messages were going to top leaders on the board of trustees, um, talking about what was happening, asking them to do something, um, especially because that office was so highly regarded or were supposed to be, you know, holding Penn State to the highest ethical standards. The fact that the conduct it was designed to prevent was happening there um, made people very concerned. And what about this so-called compliance training? And and I know that you had written about uh, John Champagne submitting his report. Mm-hmm. You start out talking about that. Can you can you tell me a little bit about about that? Yeah. So uh, John Champagne is professor at the university. Um, he's been there for three decades. Uh, so if you think about annual compliance trainings over three decades, that's hours and hours. Of trainings, um, much of them kind of in the if you see something, say something genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the fall of 2021, uh, 
John Champagne has seen a, a poster advertising a Pray the Gay Away event on campus. Pray, pray um, the, wait, Pray the Gay Away. Way, yes. So he sees this poster and it's it says Pray the Gay Away, meaning if someone's gay to pray away. Okay, I got it. Right. It, it, I had, it to, I had to just that unpack happening. that. Okay. Yep. It was an event that was happening at the university uh, by an outside group in the fall of 2021. Okay. So he sees this poster. He had, he had taken all this compliance training. He writes a report just saying, I think this is creating a hostile work environment. That's one of the terms. That's right. like a, a category of a type of report. Um, and he sends it off. Uh, and in talking with him, he even admits this is like a pretty minor thing, but he wanted to flag it for the university. I and mean, this is what he was told to do. Because he's um, because he's a, he's a professor, and he's right. also thinking, oh my goodness, um, you know, some of my students who are gay may see this on campus and may f- feel kind of shocked or feel like they're being right. ostracized, and and he's concerned, you know, about about that. I just want sometimes in audio because we're not seeing this visually. I just want to just of make course. that clear. Okay. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Yeah, and, and and like I said, like he was very clear about this was a, a pretty minor thing to flag, but he wanted to kind of make a record yeah. of it, let the university administration know. Um, and it, in in one sense, you could kind of expect that maybe the university would come back and say, "Well, it's this is this doesn't really meet our definition, or we've looked into it and we haven't found anything." Uh, that did not happen. So he waited months, uh, did not get any response from the university. Uh, he knew that the university got his complaint because he got the kind of automatic notification that says, yep, we got it. You know, here are the 11 people who also got copies of the report you just made. And he waited months and months. Um, he, during a faculty Senate meeting, so this is a group of uh, faculty uh, who are in kind of in leadership roles. He asked the administration about it. They didn't really have much of a response. He was sending emails to the office that he made the report to. He was sending emails to the president's office, didn't get a response. And it took him a year and a half to even get the, the university to say, oh, we're sorry that we never f- followed up on your complaint. Um, and, and the thing is, um, even if this is a relatively minor one, the, the administration wouldn't necessarily know that things hadn't escalated, that maybe he didn't put all the information in the report because there was no follow-up contact uh, with the professor. There's so much swirling with Penn State. There's a headline, the faculty received vile, threatening emails after signing an anti-racist open letter. 
then there's the other story of a Penn State professor who's suing the school, saying that the faculty were labeled racist, white supremacists. There's so much swirling. What's going on at Penn State? I mean, I have to ask the question. You see all of this. It just seems like they have a, a lot of issues. Is this the training gone wrong? Is it the fact that they're non-responsive to various employees who are concerned about various issues? I mean, that's a pretty expansive question yes, it is. Um, for me to answer. I mean, the, the university has tens of thousands of employees. Yeah, you know, it has huge. like two dozen locations across the state. So you, it, it's a very one large and then powerful organization. Um, so there's probably always something going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, It'd be hard to like really keep an eye on yeah. every university campus, every employee. And then on top of that, you have tens of thousands of students that are there for eight months out of the year, nine months out of the year. Yeah, for me, I just, because I, I have been an adjunct journalism professor for a couple of years at uh, LaSalle University locally, and I think as a professor, whether you're full-time or adjunct, you have students come to you all the time, I can tell you this, and so you want to be sensitive to them, right, and responsive. Mm-hmm. So the first English teacher that I talked about, professor, you know, I, I think he probably did that out of sensitivity to students, and he's thinking, they're going to come to me, and how do I respond? Right. And I can I can totally relate to that because they they're going to come to you and say, "Wow, I saw this." And then maybe you have a conversation about free speech and where you can go to maybe respond to a poster like that, etc. Mm-hmm. Then on the other spectrum side of the spectrum, you actually have a former PSU um, professor who's suing, saying that he was a, an English professor as well on the Abington campus. He's suing the school because he said that he was sort of singled out and ridiculed and humiliated because he's a white male, cis male, mm-hmm. and so on. There's just so much with it. And I I just, um, I love that you did this investigation and that you're pushing for transparency. Have they given you even a timeline to say they will respond to all of your various, you know, findings? So this uh, project took about a year of reporting, um, and throughout that, we were in communication with the university, um, either asking them questions um, to get information. I mean, these were things that we couldn't find on our own, or we wanted them to clarify. Um, and then kind of in the last month, uh, we gave them what we would call like a no surprises letter. Um, and that's essentially like laying out uh, kind of su- like summaries of these are all the things, all the statements of fact all the bits that are going to be in our investigation, you can respond or clarify to any, all, or none of them. Um, the, the main thing being we don't want to publish a story and then have the university or whoever the story is about say, well, you didn't give me an opportunity to respond to that. Um, so the university was, was not surprised with anything that should be, should not have been surprised with anything that was in our story uh, today. Um, they responded to a number of things um other things they cited confidentiality mm-hmm. um and, and which i expected us, uh, yeah and they gave us a kind of generic uh response about that there are they're a like very large complex organization um and that they're kind of constantly working and examining their systems and making changes implementing new policies as you know new problems are identified right well, you know, I applaud you and and your colleagues at Spotlight PA. You're very methodical and responsible, 
and you've given them ample time, in essence, you're probably saving the taxpayers money because you've done an investigation for them. I even wonder, quite frankly, if some of the board members were surprised to learn of all of this until you're shining a light on it, pun intended, Spotlight PA. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to ask them. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I just, I have to wonder that. But you point out a couple things, and this is the key. This is the, mm-hmm. the bottom line, that until that law is changed and they have to answer to the public like other companies do and like other state agencies do, pretty much until they you know, have to answer to it and the law is such, then we can keep asking the questions, but they're not really required to give all the information, are they? Yeah, that, that's something that most people... I guess, aren't aware of. So the university is a public university, um, but is in Pennsylvania, it's considered a state-related university. So Penn State, Pitt, Temple, and Lincoln are all state-related. Um, and that kind of category allows them to be independent, but they also receive um, an appropriation each year from the General Assembly. Um, this is really testing my knowledge, but I think Penn State gets like more than $200 million from the university, or sorry, mm-hmm. Penn State gets more than $200 million from the General Assembly um, to, to help offset the cost for in-state tuition. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of that kind of special status as state-related, the university is not subject to Pennsylvania's open records law. So your local municipality, um, say you're a resident of state college, uh, you can ask, you know, uh, the the city to provide you documents that they have, um, like financial statements, things like that, uh, because they're they're subject to the open records law yes. because they're taxpayer funded. Um, most public universities are subject to it. Um, if you think of University of Michigan, Ohio State, uh, those are public universities. And if I was reporting on them, I could go basically to the University of Michi- Michigan's communication office and mm-hmm. say, I want to know. Uh, I want a document that you have that I think explains, you know, how you're spending this money, how much is going to new dorms, how much is going to this and that. Um, and a, a previous story that we've done at Spotlight PA is that the the General Assembly gives that appropriation each year to the four universities, mm-hmm. but it's very, very difficult to understand how they actually spend it, how much <laughs> of that money is going directly into like lowering a tuition costs for in-state students, how much is going to building upkeep, how mm-hmm. much is going to um, paying for uh, professors, retention, things like that, which the universities are allowed to do under the law. Um, mm-hmm. Those are things, it's, it's not clearly defined in the appropriation how they should spend it. Um, but it's also, they don't have to say like, look, you gave us a hundred million, 50 million went to this, 40 million went to this. Um, that's only if they want to tell the public how it's spent. Yeah. Wyatt Massey, thank you so much for laying out this important investigation. You've spent a year of your life, and I know it continues for you. Thank you so much for joining us and educating us on the issue that a lot of us as you know taxpayers, we're paying for this and deserve the transparency for sure. Thank you, Wyatt. Until next time, we really, we just so appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? 
we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.